This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, Toby Mathis here, and you're listening to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast. I have Kevin, is it Kavanaugh, right? And Sue Jishayam. And these are two very cool real estate investors that I wanted to bring on so you guys could meet because they're not your typical investors. They've done really, really cool projects in the Portland area where they've taken things that you wouldn't ordinarily think, hey, this is going to be a great investment. And they've done amazing social change and also they get profits. I think the term, Kevin, I'm going to steal something that I've seen from you in the past. It's enough. We don't need to go be greedy pigs. There's a nice return and you're doing good things for the world and society and you're you're solving some problems. And so I want to I want to make that our theme today is let you guys introduce yourselves and talk about what you're seeing as a housing issue, because you guys are in Portland, where I know you guys have housing issues, but what you're seeing is as the solution, what's working for you guys there. So let me introduce, Suja, why don't you jump in first and tell them who you are, and then Kevin, uh, come on and, uh, and, and explain what you do too. Hey, Toby, and hey, everyone. My name's Suja Sham, and I am the director of, I guess, affordable housing right now at Gorilla Development, which is the Kevin a company that Kevin founded, I don't know, some 20 years ago. And I also have my own real estate investing firm, Lux Capital Investment Group, where I help investors get into more market rate deals. With Gorilla, we're really more focused on social impact and really making Portland a cooler, better place to live. I'm just so pleased to be working with Kevin and the projects that we're doing are super inspiring and just going to impact families on such a great level. So excited to jump into that. I'm going to share a screen. Let me see if I could screw it up with my technology because sometimes <laughs> I'm not very smart, but I want them to see the type of projects you guys are doing. And then you guys could explain what those projects are, but these aren't little projects here and there. Like they've done massive changes on some of these landscapes and brought really cool projects. I love this building. I think that the fair haired dumbbell, we'll get into that. Kevin, tell them <laughs> about yourself first. Yeah. Well, one thing I can't do is explain the names. It, it's much, much less compelling. If I let you kind of play with it in your mind, yeah, I've been called the goat of names. Uh, so I, I started as a, I like that you called me an investor. I don't, that's the last thing I think I am. <laughs> I'm a, got my degree in architecture. And as you can see from my website, I realized, yeah, like Sue just said, some two decades ago that I had the most passive seat at the table and all the power was held by the developer. All the decisions were made by the person who held the first strings. Mm-hmm. So I remember taking a couple of the enlightened clients that I had back in the day uh, out to coffee and said, Hey, how do you, how are you a developer? What does that mean? What kind of degree do you need? And they're like, well, you don't need a degree. I'm like, oh, crap. As an architect, I need a degree. I have to get a license. I could just print a business card and say I'm a developer. They're like, yeah, yeah you need a lot of money. But yeah, just be a developer. Do you have, how's your risk appetite? And uh, you know, I just said off the charts. So it's about your DNA or your wiring. So I went to my bosses and I said, hey, I bought two pieces of land. I want to build two little tiny projects. I want to design them myself. But I want us as a firm to be the architect of record could I hire us to do that? And they said, yes. So every other Friday, I would get a paycheck. And then I would get an invoice for three times the amount of the paycheck. And it worked. And I built these two little buildings. And they spun off enough money to match my salary. So I quit the next day. And I I never looked back. So I'm only a developer to build the weird ass stuff that nobody would hire me to design. Like the fair hair dumbbell. That paint job. Let me go up to that. That that paint job cost a half a million dollars. So what is that? What's that? What is it? It's an office building, five stories of office over retail. The paint job cost a half a million dollars. 
The city flower of Portland is the rose. The state rock of Oregon is the thunder egg or the geode. Every single line on that building is either a thunder egg or a rose. You can't tell. It's abstracted. But now that I've told you, you can't not see it. It costs a half a million dollars. We had an international competition. We hand-painted it, as you can see right there. No one's going to hire me to do that. But when I ran the Proforma, I made it work and game on. Um, so everything that we do at Gorilla is an experiment. Without Suja finding the gasoline for the engine, we don't, you know, my ideas are just lovely sketches on napkin. But it started out as a left brain, right brain. thing. How can I create art and have it still pencil? How can it still make money? And I kind of toggle back and forth in my left brain and my right brain. That's where I was until about five years ago. And I'm talking to you now, Toby, because now it's a head and heart thing. Like I, like homelessness wasn't a problem a decade ago. I can mm-hmm. design really weird stuff and big, you know, what is, what is restauranting going to look like instead of Applebee's? I never want to design Applebee's, but I'll do micro restaurants or how can I do really inventive projects? Now is how can I repair the social fabric that's been frayed in America? I build buildings for a living and we have a homelessness problem. I'm stepping over dudes in sleeping bags. That's just four walls on a roof. If I can't crack that nut. Shame on me. So then I started five years ago diving into, you know, instead of left brain, right brain, it was head and heart. How can I still do compelling projects, but leave the world as a, in a better place, not just a prettier place, but a better place. So that's what Suja and I wake up every you know, Monday through Friday and, and do. So let's let's dive into that because the I was just mentioning that I'm, I'm kind of a follower of the, the Joint Center for Housing and, and I've been doing it for years pointing out that as an investor, and I am an investor, you, you, you invest in, in, in society. We all invest in something, uh, in my view, but I am a real estate investor. I like to invest in real estate because I believe that as an individual, I can affect better change than somebody who has a bunch of shareholders that they own a fiduciary duty to, like a BlackRock. Yes. Can't be yes. too nice to veterans and, and nice to old ladies, right? But I can be because I, it's, 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 it's my purse strings. But here you are in this space what have you found as an architect and as a developer that you're actually able to pencil? Because what I have seen is a complete lack. And I'm, let me see if I can pull up some numbers. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can annoy you guys with a, with a graph. Oh, I love so I'm going to th- throw up and I'm going to share. Uh, let me see if I can share the supply of low. This is the supply of low cost rentals. In the United States, and this is 2011 to 2021. So here we are, a 10-year stretch, and you can see the number of units that was under 600 bucks available was almost 12 million, and now it's down to 8 million. So we've lost about a third of the housing units. It's 8 million of you know from 600 to 800 bucks, and now it's down to 6.4. We got 6.5. Like when you start adding these things up, you're realizing, oh crap. It's really tough to find a place under thirteen hundred bucks, fourteen hundred bucks, and I imagine Portland's really bad. Yep. It, so it, we're just like anywhere else. I mean, the West Coast cities and um, Northeast and now pockets of, of most big cities are are now suffering from this. And it's so funny because I say things that are politically hot, and they're heard as politically hot, but they're not. They're not political. Like this is this is a blue and red problem. This is a you know. Oh, it's a person problem. Like we have, whole, we, we're we're probably seven hundred or seven million units behind in this country. Right. and it's and, not just because we're not building enough units. That's part of the problem. But it's because we're making new. We're not making units. We're making poor people. We're making poor people, and we're not making enough units. I mean, I I, yeah. I, I, I would say that when you look at the housing, the builds, like th- just look at this last year, raising interest rates, right? Which is 
they're, they're taxing us. That's a tax. It makes the builders stop building. I don't know about you, but did it did it stop you at all when they start raising interest rates? Did it make projects that 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 would have penciled not penciled? There were rains in the sky five years ago, and now nothing is starting. Things are just finishing up, and there's nothing following that that backlog. And to me, that's frightening because I think that we're already at a deficit, and it's not going to get better. We're not going in the right direction. I think that from, from all estimates that I've seen, and again, I'm just throwing numbers at you guys. It seems like we're about 10 years of building at a surplus away from catching up. And we're not building at a surplus. We're still at a deficit. So let's talk about solutions. I think you're on to some of the solutions. You're able to build low-cost housing, right, that actually pencils. At what price are you able to rent these units to, to where it's actually penciling? That's a tough one. I want to let Suja jump in, but that's that's a question that I, I would have answered differently a week ago. It's the, it's moving so fast. I think that Kevin's approach, as he'll, he said, many times before and we'll say again is that what worked, you know, five years ago doesn't work in this current environment. And so we are actually like, for example, I think let's just use a case study of Jolene's first cousin. So Jolene's first cousin is a mixed use project that is one in one of the greatest, cutest neighborhoods in Portland. And it's only about 13 single room units. So it's like designed for there's ground floor retail, and then there's a couple market rate lofts, and then there's a section, which is an SRO or single room occupant building. And um, it's for folks who are coming up the street and living, they're ready to pay re- a little bit of rent, but not necessarily enough to afford their own studio or one bedroom apartment. And so what's just, really great about I don't mean to interrupt you, but when you yeah. say these are single, like, so these are, this is a boarding house. Yeah, so they share kitchen. They share a kitchen and they share a bathroom. This is so a so it's bed, efficient like a eleven-bedroom apartment with a big-ass living and dining and kitchen area, but it's like an adult dorm. Would you say, Sujit? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so it's very efficient, right? So that means that it was easier and less less expensive for Kevin to build that than to build eleven studio apartments. And it's also nestles into the neighborhood really nicely. So the neighborhood was actually excited to have um, this building come in. I think went. Kevin was at a neighborhood meeting at one point and someone said, well, are you nervous about having homeless people come into the neighborhood? And then this person said, well, once they have a home, they're not homeless. Mm. And so it just is a really successful project in terms of not concentrating poverty and in terms of providing a stable place for folks to live. We have a service provider that provides the residents with um, the services that they might need because, you know, they are in a, a transitional period. And it's really successful. So that project project penciled five years ago. And this now it's not penciling anymore. Kevin, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, I mean, so you, you, you touched on it, Toby, with interest rates, but there's the I can handle any one, we can handle a gorilla any one thing. Interest rates going up, okay, we can pivot, figure it out, get crafty. Construction costs going up, okay, we can get pivot, we can get crafty. There are more vacancy or the issues, we can get any two of those things happen and it's just too much. So right now I built Jolene's first cousin. For 145 bucks per square foot hard cost. Mm-hmm. That was twice that. Uh, of course, it is. Rate on my perm loan was three and a half percent. Now it's twice that. Both those things combined, it needs a subsidy. And I hate that because I've been running along for a good 15, 20 years, just the weird guy in the corner getting mm-hmm. individual investors on board, like low case, lowercase s syndications, neighbors mm-hmm. and, and local folk. In this building, this, we did a, um, we crowdfunded this. So there are unaccredited investors who came out for as little as $3,000 total investment. Mm-hmm. We won't do that again. It's a lot of work. But I believe in the idea. I believe in the idea of democratizing capital 
and real estate and investing in your in your neighborhood. But as Suji was saying that, well, the other neat thing about it, it's, this is internal subsidization. Mm-hmm. Two market rate lofts, very expensive. Three retail spaces, a coffee shop, a bakery, a hair salon, very expensive. I want top dollar for those spaces because top design gets top dollar. I want to show the value of good design. But instead of putting that extra money in my pocket or in my investor's pocket, that pushes down the rent for the formerly homeless folk all in the same building. A reporter reached out and asked, hey, why are you going to get anyone wanting to live in the market rate lofts if they're sharing a space with homeless? And I said, that's a good question. We're going to find out. He's like, well, you're never going to, no one's going to want that. I'm like, well, either either you're right or you're wrong. But if I never build it, we're never going to find out, are we? And he was wrong because it takes about 20 seconds to rent out those market rate lofts. Because they're just like, boom. So like you, you do market rate and then you do subsidize, right? It's like, so some of it is, normal pricing. And then for, for another group, you're actually cutting the price down. Are you receiving anything from the city or the state or any anybody else? No, no, no nonprofit. You're not getting United Way or anybody else to participate? Nope. I, I didn't. I historically run away from public money. This is the tricky part, Toby, that Suji and I are wrestling with right now. I have historically run away from public money. As the developer, I get to decide who's at the table. I get to hire the mm-hmm. architect or of record or the structural engineer or the builder which bank we're going to use. I get to decide that. That's awesome. I want a table that has four chairs in it at most. Mm-hmm. I invite the United Way in and there's 17 chairs at the table. Yeah. It took me 15 months from start to finish to build Jolene's first cousin. Some nonprofit, some big lumbering organizations at the table taking me three years. Like I don't have, you know, I'm a middle-aged guy. I, I, I have more drawings than I have time. I want to, yeah. I just want to build. It depends on the group, you know, so I will say this because I've worked with the United Way on a number of projects. They usually do, uh, they're a placement agency. So they may say, hey, do you have a place that you could rent for 500 bucks a month? And then they pay the first six months and then they're out, yeah. right? And sometimes those tenants are expected to do something, paint the place or participate in work parties or things like that. But they're not involved in the building. They're not involved in specking it out They're But they're they're really just saying, hey, I've got 10 folks that I need to get housing for. Cause I, I buy housing like that too. And it's, it's kind of a, you get kicked in the shin sometimes because you end up with 10 people that now haven't been paying rent and they may not want to pay rent, you know, as you go forward. So you may end up with a, a bit of an issue there, but. And I think you bring up an interesting point, Toby, which is that there are a lot of different ways, creative ways to build and get tenants in that can or want to pay, you know, a lower rent. There's a lot of creative financing out there. And so we're kind of in a, as Kevin mentioned, we're wrestling with that right now. We did just secure a Oregon State grant for Unicorn Bed, which if you want to pull it up, you can. Which one's um, Unicorn, uh, Unicorn Bed? I think it's the top. Uh, no, at the very top. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So it's coming soon. It is coming soon. So we it's been permit ready for probably a Beautiful. couple of years now. And it was one of those projects that was going to pencil just like Jolene's first cousin did. And over the course of COVID, Kevin, you could probably speak more to this. We it ended up not penciling anymore. And so we ended up applying for a grant from the state. We're at like $2.3 million for that grant. So that is going to close the gap in our capital stack and we can continue building. And it's going to be 13 two-bedroom units for single moms. So we're really excited about that. And it is you know, one of the ways that we're trying to move forward with continuing to build these projects. And I'm sure we have a lot to learn from you with like, you know, how to work with tenants from the United Way, for example. So we're going to continue to explore that. But is there anything you want to say, Kevin, about why Unicorn Bed worked three years ago, but not today without that gap funding? It's, it's, it's sadly and comically simple. Construction costs doubling and interest rates doubling. It penciled beautifully pre-pandemic. The pandemic hit, couldn't buy wood, couldn't buy plywood. Everyone, mm-hmm. like job sites really, you know, we all know what happened. 
and then the supply chain issues in the middle and post pandemic and then and then the current interest rate cycle you know i could build that for 1.8 million dollars hard costs construction costs and now it's 3 you know my debt service at 3 and a half percent interest was x and now it's 2x so it's really simple i don't know how we're going to get out of it without you know suja basically just got us 2.3 million dollars for this project she put the project on her back and now we're we had permits we had our orange card. We, you know, we can call in for inspection. We could pour concrete, except for we couldn't because the math didn't work. And Suja put this product on her back when she came to Gorilla. And as of two weeks ago, we got the grant, and now we're we pouring concrete this year, which is fantastic. Yeah. And there's three more right on its heels that we're going to work on. I hate that it takes public money to build affordable housing. Sometimes it does. It it shouldn't, but it, but it does because, like what you said, is is nobody can build and meet the investor expectation at the cost that it is. The only thing that we do is, I mean, I'll just tell you that individually, I've started going more towards the manufactured housing because I can't build for, it's 250 for stick built yeah. a foot, you know, and, and it's 78 bucks, 80 bucks for a manufactured house. And it's still great, but I can, I can put 30 manufactured homes on a plot and do it that way. And I can't build and even come close to, to get in the same, the same level. You know, well, and it's interesting because you're in the Midwest, and yeah. um, different regions have have different methods of construction. And such for one year, the, when I was 27 years old, I lived in Omaha, Nebraska, and worked for Alley Pointer Architecture, and it was mm-hmm. fun. And I worked. For, our client was the Omaha Housing Authority, and I drew a bunch of fabricated manufactured houses, and they were really cool. and And I was shocked that they, you know, they were half the price. We don't do that on the West Coast or on the West Coast, like Dwell Magazine kind of screwed up the industry on the West Coast because manufactured housing actually costs more here than, than site built. On the, in the Midwest, you guys still are in the sweet spot, thankfully. But uh, you have a, you have a guy actually in Battleground. I think he's right over there by by, by Vancouver, actually, okay. that uh, he's doing some really cool, you know, I, I call them mini homes, tiny homes, yeah. because he's doing really cool manufactured homes, but he's building communities. And it's interesting. Young guy. It's penciling out and he's just like, I'm just going to do it. You know, he's building his own manufacturing facility and he's like, I I'm just going to do it. When we're done, please send me his number. because I, I will, I will. Yeah. I mean, I think that brings up an interesting point in general, which is like the cost of building has gone up, not just because of construction costs, but because of design requirements and building code requirements. I mean, you've probably seen that over the course of 20 years, Kevin, right? Like, I mean, do you feel like it's prohibitive? What do you see as like the solutions there. I mean, obviously, we've got one, which is manufactured housing, but that doesn't go up. So yeah. So someone that I used to work with, uh, Bob Boileau said that that I do state of the shelf design. And that's not, you know, that, that's not new to me. But I'm like, what do you mean by that? That sounds like a like a backhanded insult, uh, or, um, or whatever that expression is. Uh, he's like, no, 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 like everything in your buildings, you can get off the shelf at, at Home Depot where it loads, like you're not, you're not doing anything, you're not being too much, you're not getting in your way as an architect. But you create mm-hmm. volume or you create views or you they're still beautiful, beautiful spaces, but they're not trying to be fancier than they need to be. So I don't think anyone's building cheaper than us, Suja. I think I think if we can't do it, it's a bad sign in society. But yeah, I mean, that's that. Look, that's the tree farm. That yeah, I was just going to ask you because some of these like really good. Cool. By the way, these are open source, right? Somebody could take your design and go put it in their own town. And you're not you're not sitting here dinking them on the on the price or anything. You're just like, hey, if you can build it. Go for it. Yeah, on the website, uh, do this. Go down to the bottom. There should be a bunch of links to not just plans, but pro forma. Yeah, pro ah. forma. Just click on that. Let me it's see not if just a PDF. 
It's the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, I'm trying to pull it up. No worries. I, I got an email from some guy in Perth, Australia, and he said, hey, by the way, I just built the zipper here in Perth. I got the plans <laughs> and the performa off your website. I hope you don't mind. I'm like, yeah, no, man. like I've been to Perth once in my life. I probably won't go again. It's a lovely city. I'm, I'd rather you build the zipper than, you know, another Olive Garden. Uh, enjoy. Don't call it the zipper. That feels kind of weird, but you know. That's one of your projects. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can't do a screen. I'm going to do the share. Let me see if I can. It's going to be a lot of numbers, but you're actually giving them the pro forma that everything breaks down, like yeah. truly open source. <laughs> this is pretty insane. Yeah. You can see what my investors are making. You can see what I'm making. You can see what the 10-year internal rate of return is. I, can look I mean, at the these longer. numbers don't work in Perth, but you know, but plug they, in your own numbers and you'll get a little spit out what, what the product looks like for you. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go because you just mentioned the zipper and people may not realize that's another project. So I, I love the fact that you have all these projects. So I'm one of those guys that I like to see it. So I want to... Yeah. Let me go. Uh, so I would say that one of Kevin's like signature types of projects is these micro restaurant projects with communal eating areas and the zipper is there it is the zipper (laughs) is one of those where there's just all these cute little restaurants and then if you go there's now a great patio in the back and a communal eating area what would you say this does for the tenants kevin like what kind of tenants want to be in there so i built this for 106 dollars a square foot it's the dumbest building ever and I love it. And the artwork costs $35,000. And it doesn't get me more rent, but it's beautiful. And I love it. And it's lenticular art. And it's it's on a busy thoroughfare. Like this is on Sandy Boulevard, which is a really gross street in town where all the used, you know, the used car auto mall street, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whenever someone looks at my stuff, they're like, and they're like, oh, we can't do that here. I'm like, what? You don't have a crappy used car lot? Boulevard. This is what it was before you built it, right? I'm yeah, looking right now. Alfonso used Cadillac parking lot. So it was a triangle. It was a weird site. And, uh-huh. um, and in Portland, <laughs> one thing we do really well in Portland is food. And there are 600 food carts and it really high level food. But, and, and a food cart, they're, they're fascinating because it's $25,000 to buy a food cart and to open your own business. It's a really low level of entry to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of first generation immigrants. Um, our food cart operators serving amazing food. A restaurant is the opposite end of that spectrum. You need a couple hundred grand at the very least to start a restaurant. So I built the Zipper and the Ocean and Rocket Empire Machine. As Huju was mentioning, we do a handful. Of, we've done a lot of these because I want to bridge the gap between a food cart and a full-scale restaurant. So inside this building, there are five restaurants and a bar. The restaurants on average are 500 square feet. And there's a big communal indoor dining area. And, and at, it's like... The the the, the food court at the mall, except without crappy food and without the mall, it's got fire pits. It's just got a cool vibe. There's a DJ on the weekends. It's a, you know when the when the Blazers How much is the playoffs, they, they they play the game up on. It's a good time. How much is it for rent? Like if if, if I'm in a one of these uh, restaurants, what good am I paying? Question. I love this question. It's a lot. It's it sets a record per square foot. So from a so developer is, standpoint, from an investor standpoint, it's a really good return. Side note, this is way getting out of out of affordable housing, but it's another experiment on how to really, change neighborhoods. It's all like that. Totally right? agree. Right. Totally agree. Because it's still a community. It's still really doing something cool. And it, you're it, you're able to use these techniques. You built this thing for a hundred and less than hundred and ten bucks a foot. Exactly. It so, looks like it could almost be living space too. Like I'm always looking and you're realizing we're gonna have this big implosion of commercial. What are these people going to do with it? You can't use it for storage because the the, the loads are, are are too 
too high for that. So you're, you're probably going to have conversions and you're going to have people that are going to have to be pretty creative about converting space. Yeah. And, and to answer your, your rental question, it's per square foot, it's the highest retail price per square foot in the area by far. But if you're a food cart operator or if you're a tiny entrepreneur, you're not looking at the world in a per square foot scenario. You're looking at what's the rent check I cut you every month. And typically, if I know that you can gross your rent on your best day of the month, it works. And that's about what rent is. Like, like these micro restaurants are grossing about 2,500 bucks on a Saturday. And that's rent. And they don't care about price per square foot. This is another one. This is an old auto, like this, these are all auto oriented buildings. Um, Rocket Empire machine. I like it. And each of those bays used to be where you would drive in and get your car serviced. Now each of those bases is a restaurant. Yeah. And then I would add the social impact part on the Rocket Empire machine is um, that Kevin had put in one of the units, a, a kind of a subsidized unit. We mm-hmm. have like what we call a beneficiary tenant. And it's this Ethiopian restaurant that he found out was just um, displaced because their rent doubled overnight. And um, Kevin was looking for, we were trying to also prevent gentrification of commercial tenants and getting mm-hmm. having them make it out. So I don't know if there's a picture of her on there, but Kadro is the owner of this Ethiopian restaurant and her rent is fixed, right, Kevin? It's $999 a month for the first three years. And because all the research we did shows that if you can withstand the gentrification wave for three years, you do really well. So Kadro, yeah, that it's this, it's a Somali community. There's, some, there's a there's a big oh, Somali sorry. neighborhood on, on Northeast Gleason Street. And because of products like ours, because we mm-hmm. gentrify neighborhoods, we don't want to, but if you bring in a beautiful, if you take an ugly building and make it beautiful, it's gentr- the math that follows behind you and the folk that buy the building across it. I can't keep my neighbor across the street from doubling his rent. But when he did and Cadro was pushed when out. We get to, my whole point is that when you get people that are individual investors into things like you, you can actually make that decision. If it's BlackRock, they cannot. Exactly. They'd be breaching their fiduciary responsibility unless they were very clear with their investors that they were using a social use which I think more people are going to start doing because they realize it's good for society, but it's tough when you're the, like, if, if, Hey, if I, I need money to live off of, I need to, to generate such and such a return. I don't really care about everybody else, right? You start to get a little selfish there, but if you're able to accomplish both, it's hard to get that feeling elsewhere. I used to joke that if, if you don't, if you, people that always say the money is the root of all evil and money doesn't buy happiness. And I'm like, well, then you haven't given enough away. <laughs> you, want to, you want to feel really good about yourself. Just like randomly, just give a big chunk away to somebody and then tell me that same thing. But I have a, anyway, I have a thought on that front. And then I have, I want Sujay to talk about um, the atomic orchard experiment, because that's, we're always crafting different financial models. And Sujay's the, the, the finance brain at Gorilla, the, the, the four plus 100%. The Atomic Orchard Experiment, I want to make sure I pull that one up. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yep. So you're exactly right, Toby. And there's there's this weird idea of this the bifurcated mind of a high net worth American, say. Back in the Mm -hmm. day, Carnegie's and the Rockefellers, with their left hand, they would do whatever they needed to do to make as much money. And I would would club baby harp seals if it was profitable. And then with my right hand, I just give it away and I build a library. Or I give it away and I build a university. And... The investors that Suja is finding at Gorilla mm-hmm. are folk who aren't bifurcated. Everything they do has meaning. So I'm happy to invest. I'm a capitalist. I'll invest in your projects, Kevin and Suja. I want to make a return, but I want to make enough. I don't need to maximize my return. Whenever I get an investor, we always get a cup of coffee. I want, I want to meet you. We're dating. We're not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take your money until I know who you are. 
I'm going to, I'm going to Google you and see if you've sued anybody. If that's how you deal with conflict, I don't want your money. Half the investors out there. No, yeah. no, most, so most actually- I say no more than I say yes to investors. B, I want to know where yield is of importance for you. And if it's number one or two, I just, I'm wasting your time. I introduced you to somebody who's doing self-storage facilities out by the airport because you're going to be happier with that person and putting your money in those buildings. You're not going to be happy with me or vice versa. We have those, by the way, too. And that's <laughs> the funny part is like, we have, I love self-storage because they, but they get huge returns, but it's like, we never want to have a toilet. We never want to have an actual tenant, but it is its yeah. own little animal. But as an Sorry, architect, yeah. I wake up in the morning wanting to like make my city yeah. beautiful and change people's lives. But Sudi, you could talk about the math that you kind of crafted and, and sold it atomic, if you don't mind. Yeah, do that. Yeah, for sure. So Atomic Orchard Experiment, it's under construction right now, which is really exciting. And it has about 50 units and 25 of those were are eventually going to be affordable for social workers. They're beautiful lofts. They're, I think it's like 17 feet foot ceilings, right, Kevin? When you say, and, sorry, but when you say yeah. social worker, is it these residential or are these for social work that people that are doing work in, in in society. So the tenant base will be social workers. These are so residents in are, apartment building. Okay, so this is oh, residential, sorry. but you but you're you're gearing it towards folks that are actually in a yeah, low so income like, yeah. wanted to make the housing affordable in Central City Portland for people who are working on the front lines of the homelessness crisis for example, because also people like social workers and teachers are also getting kicked out of Portland because rents are just going higher. Yeah. So that's the idea is to Major help the people cities who are everywhere. really... They, they can't live in their exactly. city because the, the teachers don't get paid enough or police don't get paid enough or fill in the blank doesn't get paid enough. Yeah, exactly. And so this has both internal subsidy, meaning that 25 of the units will always be market rate units. And so those are going to be making it more affordable for us to, you know, more making it pencil for us to have 25 of these at an affordable level. Mm-hmm. And the affordability is going to grow every every year. They're going to be they'll start with three affordable units, and then the next year there'll be six affordable units. And we'll by kind of spreading it out like that, we'll be able to work up to twenty five units over they, about ten years. And these are less than six hundred bucks a month, right? I'm looking. I think it says uh, five hundred eighty two dollars per month. Is that what they're locking the loft down to? You might be looking at the oh, uh, form, but it's gone up a little bit. But it's half price. Half price. Half of market rate. So what we've offered to investors in this case is a 4% return for 10 years. And then at the end of 10 years, there's what we call a kicker. I'm trying to remember the exact math. Kevin, do you remember what it is? 100% kicker. So basically you get 4% every single year. And then at 10 years, you get your capital back plus 100% kicker. So, you know, twice that. So if you put in $100,000, then you'll get 4% times 10 years. That's $40,000. And then you'll get at the end of 10 years, you'll get your $100,000 back plus another $100,000, which is a 14% average annual return, which is really, really excellent for investing in affordable housing. Yeah. Are you finding that there are nonprofits that are looking to invest in any of these projects? Because they're always trying to get a return. You know, you got a lot of different groups with sitting on a lot. What do you mean, Toby? Like what kind of nonprofits? Uh, Like uh, like even a teacher's union. Uh, Whenever I say nonprofit, I mean exempt organization. So it could be, it could be a pension. It could be the small bomb and pop or the, or a foundation where they're required to give away a portion of their money every year, but they, they still have to invest the, the, the principle that they have. Yeah. So that is a really good question. And I think we're going to be 
talking to you more about that. One thing that we have going on with you guys, with your help is that currently Kevin's company is structured as a for-profit company. Mm -hmm. And that does make it a little bit more challenging for us to court, you know, money from foundations, et cetera. So we're becoming a nonprofit so that, you know, these projects make more sense to folks like the ones you're talking about. Yeah. We've never crushed that nut, Toby. We've never gotten past all of our investors have always been individuals. We've never had any a pension fund. I think we are, we're teed up beautifully for a pension fund, but I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm used to this culture of scarcity. So I'm asking investors for 50 or a hundred grand. I'm getting individuals and I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't know how to talk to the folk who just want write one check and do atomic orchard and get it, get it done. And, and they like, they like the math behind it, 4% fixed. And then there's this hundred percent kicker. It's great return. I mean, I, I, again, I don't see why you'd have from uh, raising it from the, the for-profit world. There's groups that, I mean, that's a great return. 14% projected return is not, not horrible. I would think so. But the funny thing is, maybe it's because it's Portland. Maybe it's because we're just the weird kids. But it's, Oregon's tax doesn't help. Then that's yeah. for sure. But Suja, I mean, Suja, I, if it was easy, I wouldn't have hired Suja. But it's hard. And I, you know, I just want to draw it. I just want to make the buildings. And Suja does what I am not good at doing and what I hate doing, which is finding the money, making sure it's the right money and, and bringing it in. And it really is a hard job. And it's, and it's, it's slowed down right now. It's my money capital is people are circling the wagons right now. Yeah. And it's the worst possible time for that to happen because the need is so dire. Yeah. I mean, 4, 4% a year sounds great until you can go to a savings account and get 4%. Exactly. percent worked, you know, three years ago, but right now you can just get a T bill for 5%. So and without that whatever. 5% kicker, it, yep. it doesn't make sense. But my, my comment. It also, still makes sense with the kicker for sure. So two, two more things on that on Atomic Orchard. My comment to investors is like, you're not buying groceries with your, this is a dividend, just like in a stock. You don't buy a stock for the dividend. Rarely mm-hmm. you buy it for its growth. So there's the hundred percent growth that's kind of baked in. The neat thing about Atomic Orchard experiment is it's our, it's our first legal discrimination project. So again, we like, we don't even know the rules we're breaking. So I remember I called my lawyer and said, Hey, what am I allowed to discriminate against? Well, there's a protected class is obviously sexual orientation, age, race, religion. Like, I'm like, oh, I understand that. How about employment? It's like, no, that's not protected. Like you didn't, you weren't born an architect, Kevin. You chose that profession just like you chose your white shirt today. It doesn't matter. So I said, oh, cool. So I can say to you, my lawyer, I won't rent to you because you're a lawyer. He said, well, you can, you actually can. Legally, that's weird, but why would you do that? I'm like, well, it's not about that. It's about saying, I will rent to you because you're a social worker or you're a school teacher or you're a, or you're a fireman because I want to honor what you do mm-hmm. and, and Portland needs you desperately. And I want you to live in the central city, which is where all, where you want to live, but you've been priced out. So it's our yeah. first legal discrimination project because, because if you are on the front, if you're a social worker working on the front lines of the homelessness problem, I want to honor you with the key to a sexy ass loft that's half price. And, and by the way, you don't need to be poor. It's not about affordable housing for poor people. It's legal discrimination by profession. And, um, and, and there's other areas that could actually be using some of that. And I'll just drop some at you guys just because it's fun to watch you guys ponder these things. But there's groups that are trying to do neurodiverse, right? There, You have autistic uh, 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 adult children. Parents are scared to death of what's going to happen to their children. They're able to work. They just need somebody there and they're starting to build neurodiverse communities, meaning that you have both autistic and non-autistic. The autistic might need some sort of subsidization, subsidization, because the parents might be covering two households, right? They want their child to, to be independent, but they can't afford three or four thousand dollars a month. 
they just can't do it. Oh, and they so they, they're, starting, they're, they're exploring these and, and this type of property would actually fit that quite nicely. Well, and that reminds me, the well, funny thing is we're almost doing that. And Suja, um, I keep picking things to you. Like, how do you feel about, do you want to talk about Great Scott Trio, which is kind of not, a, not Let's do that, what Suja. Toby's mentioning. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So this is this is a project plan, that's also it's not like we fed Toby like all these questions. This happened <laughs> just to be laying out this way. <laughs> yeah. So this is a project that we're we currently have 100% permitted, and mm-hmm. we're we're looking for that gap funding. We're currently in the process of applying for it, and it is a 39 one bedroom residential project, and one third of the units are going to be rented to kids who are aging out of the foster care system there because you know. Yep. The foster care kids are just that's a nonprofit dropped. activity, guys. Like that's the thing is, there's groups that would. I, I won't keep preaching to the choir, you guys. <laughs> no, no, no. We, I mean, we look. We're all ears because we know that we have a lot on the table that we we need to um, access to to get these projects. I just built, think it's so. amazing that you literally just post all your stuff online. <laughs> You're just like, hey, <laughs> you want to steal our design? Steal it. <laughs> Well, that's one of the great things about Kevin is that he's like evangelical about this. And it's like, look, if you want to go do this, go do it. I will give you whatever I can and please go do it. Right. Cause we need the need is so great. It's not like we're, it's not like there's a, a lack you, of need. What is this going to cost per foot? 300. Wow. So you went from a hundred to 300, all these. It's really hard. What could somebody build it like in the Midwest for? Like, is it just because it's Portland or is it just nowadays? Is it just, well, hey, the, the, the thing I built for a hundred, it was a single story building slab on grade. Really, it was that kind of building is about the cheapest building to build aside from self storage. This with micro one bedrooms, pretty small one bedrooms. There's a lot of kitchens and bathrooms per square foot crammed in here. So it's yeah. a pretty expensive building regardless. You mentioned 250 bucks a square foot. So I'm probably, you know, 20% more than you. No, no. I'm just saying that you just to get started a stick built, you're looking at 250. Just, just, just base bare bones. Interesting thing is, there's another company called Pad Split that's doing some of this, but they're doing it with single families. And they're what they're trying to do is it's the old boarding house. So you're buying older homes and you're fixing them up, putting them. You know, instead of having a big, huge living room and a big dining room, they may convert those into into bedrooms and they have a common area and each person has a secure room. And they're, they're usually leasing them out uh, for a month at a minimum and then weekly thereafter. But it's pretty interesting. That model seems to be working too, just to plant more seeds. Cause again, we're all trying to solve the same problem. And it's like, there's a lot of smart people out there. And it seems like, uh, Suja, you, you've got the finances down and, and Kevin, you've got the, uh, the technical expertise to start to, to, to build these things, obviously. I'm not smart. I want to be smart person adjacent. I just want to, I just want to know smart people because I know. <laughs> No, there, there's a lot of folks that, that, that feel committed to this, that feel drawn towards, hey, well, they know there's a problem, especially on the, in the West Coast, we have a big issue. East Coast, we have a big issue. The Midwest, not, not as bad, obviously, but, but I look at it and I just think like in, we're so wealthy. Why the heck do we have homeless? Seattle, yeah. San Francisco and Portland and Los Angeles. What the heck? What's wrong with us? Why can't we fix this? So anyway, if somebody wants to, uh, I know we kind of went, different areas in this in this conversation but if if somebody wants to get in touch with you guys and learn more about ways that they can get involved in your projects yeah uh, so about doing that if you go back there toby to the web page i can show you where you can go if you're interested in being an impact investor with us and getting you know the types of returns we were just talking about that 14 percent average annualized return then you can just go to and then if you go scroll down go to the invest 
and you can just book a call with Kevin. That would be a great to just learn if you would be a fit for us and if we would be I, a fit for you. Will, we, we will put the link. I've been on gorilladev.co this whole time. Uh, I didn't say what the website is, but I'll put it in there so that somebody can go in here. It's Gorilla Development Company. And there's the participate button right there on that first thing. And there's your TED Talk, which I did watch. And you definitely did. listen to the TED Talk. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, I'm not going to say anything about the pants because <laughs> nothing needs to be said about the pants. Yeah, that's like, is that what they call like a teaser to get people to like, what is he talking? What's Toby saying? Yeah, that's a teaser. Go, go, go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, so yeah, so I, and you know, definitely sign up for our mailing list, but especially, you know, if you are interested in being an impact investor, make sure to book a t- book some time with Kevin. Yeah. Well, again, I, I, I can't say it. There's a, there's a huge need. There's a lot of folks that are actually trying to pro they, there's nothing wrong with, with capitalism, right? It's going to solve a lot of issues, but you mentioned Carnegie and he's one of my favorites. He wrote something called the gospel of wealth. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. But he said, millionaires are the trustees of the poor. Like there's people that are really good at making money and there's people that are really, really bad at it. You yeah. kind of need the ones that are good at it. And, uh, and, and, and we need to be responsible for the ones that may not be able to, or they're just not very good at it because through no fault of their own, it could be medical. It could be just circumstances. It could be any. The margins are the so blank. thin right now. You know, you know, what's interesting is in here in the Midwest, there, there was a, an interview with, um, uh, call centers, and I forget the industry. Probably was, could be banking, could be credit card, could be whatever. But a lot of the call centers are are in the Midwest, and it's interesting because the person on the end of the line who's who's servicing the call can tell if you're from one of the coasts or if you're from the Midwest based on how stressed out you sound. And the comment is <laughs> yeah. the margins are so much thinner on the coast. It's so like like the middle class has been cored out of the coasts much more than the Midwest. Yeah. And, you know, my wife got a nursing degree at Creighton and, you know, there are people, you know, two income families who are making not significantly more than minimum wage can actually buy a home in the outskirts of Omaha. It's impossible to even consider in the in Northeast or Northwest or Florida or, or the big cities. So that's a change that happened in our lifetimes. And it happens slowly like a frog boiling in water. I'm not a policy wonk. We're not going to get into politics. I have all kinds of theories about why that happened. Both parties have failed us. Other countries can do this. One thing I mentioned in the TED Talk is that that we invented the American dream. Now there are 16 countries that do it better than us. Like like there is stickiness at the top 20% in the bottom. If you're born poor, you could be amazing. You're gonna die poor. I mean, it it it's not it's not our parents' economy anymore. And we can lament as to why or how that happened, or we could just Suja and you and I can just go and, and do what we can to fix it. I like that one. I'd always think that there's, a, there's where there's a will, there's a way. And we just have to decide that we want to solve some of these issues. And uh, I think that the individual investor is way more empowered than some of these folks that have their hands tied by the rules that the SEC imposes on them or their fiduciary relationships. And so we're not bound by that. We we can decide, hey, I'm good with a 6% return or 7% return. Yeah. We don't need to get a 17% return all the time. Although it's certainly great. It's wonderful. Sure. But you don't have to do that with everything. Yeah, have you that in very, your portfolio very, very too. You know, um, you know, get, have your mm-hmm. NVIDIA stock. That's great. Do all kinds of fun stuff that just makes really good money. But yeah, the American investor is more sophisticated. And and I don't want to eat, to eat the same meal. I don't want to eat chicken parmesan every time. I want to. I want some variety in my investments, in my meals, in my life. <laughs> 
No, absolutely. You guys have been awesome. So I'm going to put your guys' contact information. I'm going to make sure people can get out to you. And we're going to have to have you on in the uh, investing side because we do have the investing side where we have a lot of folks that are investing in projects. They can certainly reach out to you, but I'm, I know for certain that we'll have to have you on over there so you can talk about some of these projects because beautiful projects, really cool. These are things that you would, you would, you would love to have in your communities. So many projects that we see, especially when they're price conscience. I want to drive by it. I don't want to drive to it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this, this changes that considerably and you're using really, really cool aesthetics to make it something where somebody would feel proud. Cause whenever I think about low income housing, I don't know about you, but you, you think about the projects, you think about some of these, it's the same unit 20 times over and yeah. it looks almost like a prison. There is, a, it's like, we'll, we'll save it for the next chat, but there is a myth of efficiency or economy of scale. And Suja and I, we don't play in those waters and we're showing that you don't have to, you can have sexy design and affordable housing and, and they're not, it's not a, it's not an or equation. It can be an and equation. I like it. Sexy and affordable. <laughs> Susan, thank you. Kevin. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And, uh, and I'll get this out to everybody. And again, if, I, I encourage anybody who wants to reach out to Kevin. And if, you, if you're a builder or developer, you reach out to Kevin and Suja and talk about doing it in your, your neighborhood. Because this is the first time. This is the first for me where an architect's like, here, just take my stuff. <laughs> and uh, in, in in your neighborhood, so you, you know you got you got a community that's willing to allow you to do that. Take advantage of it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Toby. Thanks, Toby. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast, and if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.